0: This is the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hague.
1: I don't think the average man does see himself as a dangerous person. This is not a story about murder. This is a story about its aftermath. What happens to a murderer after he does the deed? I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is
0: this the kind of book you would like your wives and servants to read? As a reader, I've always been kind of a magpie, as in, ooh, shiny, I'll read that. And as an interviewer, to be honest, I've sometimes been very much the same. In 1990, Paul Theroux was in town, so naturally I grabbed him. He was perhaps best known as a travel writer, and I don't much bother with travel writing, although, to be fair, I do read his. But happily, his current book was a novel, and that was right up my street. Chicago Loop, a disturbing slice of modern American life. The book is written with the skill you would expect of Paul Theroux, but it is not a comfortable read. We're caught up in the madness of irrational murder. There is a series of horrific killings in which the victims are literally bitten to death, and inevitably the press dubbed the unknown killer, the Wolfman. And we find ourselves in the grim inner city decay of Chicago, Illinois. Well, the city has a very real presence in this novel, the lake, the Sears Tower, and that loop. Tell me about the Chicago loop. What is
1: that? The loop itself is... An area in the very heart of the city, which is the heart of the country, uh, or heart of the of the state, I should say, of Illinois, and uh, and the country too, because it's it's Chicago sees itself as the heartland of America, and the loop is a, a number of square blocks which is completely surrounded by um, an L. I, I could call it a subway, except it's it's an overground train, an elevated railway, which runs completely around it. The loop, it's called, and trains. Uh, d- uh, circulate to it or go go to it and radiate from it. And that scene is sort of the heart of the city except it's kind of a dead heart of a city or a stopped heart because it's the financial district. No one actually lives there. There are uh, sleazy bars and fast food places and so forth but it's a very, very weird place, very shadowy. Uh, even on a hot day you see these very, very dark shadows everywhere and I saw it as a place that was circumscribed. I also think that that the... Uh, it was a perfect title because, in a way, the plot of the book is a loop. It, man starts and comes really full circle. But uh, the, this sort of, in the sense of a crime story, which um, comes around to its beginning. And I it does that, come full circle Yes, well. it does. It does because it's a, uh, it's a book about a man who kills someone and then, in a fit of remorse, wants to sort of, Make everything right, and so he takes on the identity of his victim.
0: Now he's nuts, of course. Um, the, the The man is uh, called Parker Jagoda. Am I yes, pronouncing that right? that's right. Um, I wondered if that dead heart of Chicago and that heartland reference to America was also what you were getting at. Is Is this
1: book about America or is it about Chicago? Is there something special about Chicago that I thought? I thought of Chicago. I mean, that's a difficult. Question because I, do, I think of him as an American. I don't think of this as an English story. This is not an English murder, so to speak. But uh, I think of it as American and perhaps Chicago in, in, in that sense. You know, we have 11,000 criminal homicides a year. And I think uh, perhaps that's the informing fact the fact that we have a very high murder rate, and some of them are very weird. Although I got the idea from uh, a book. About Dennis Nielsen. Dennis Nielsen said that uh, he was one one, one of the young men that he killed, made him so sorry. He felt so remorseful. He wanted to take the identity of this victim and become that man and take on that man's life just as an act of of, uh, expiation. And of
0: course, that's what Parker does with the woman Sharon he murders. He then... In a way, it, he's identifying with the violence that, that has been uh, visited upon her, but he can't identify with it as a man. He can only identify with it as as Sharon, in a way. He almost takes on her identity, or completely takes on her identity. Is his sense of that violence something that can, uh, that, that only women can suffer?
1: Uh, let me put it this, uh, this way. I think that you, uh, only a woman can understand a man's violence. Men don't realize, I think how scary looking they seem most men feel ineffectual most men feel like wimps most men feel deprived they feel weak they feel vulnerable and they think they have a terrible life they don't see themselves as brutes most men i don't think speaking as a man i think women perceive men as brutish and dangerous and and many men are dangerous, but a man doesn't see himself that way. I mean, I don't think the average man does see himself as a dangerous person. Most men would say, I don't meet enough women. I never get a chance. Isn't it to hell being a uh, a man? They say the sort of things that women say, as a matter of fact, which is uh, that society is close to them. They don't have enough sex. They don't have any friends. They're lonely. Just a kind of woman's complaint, you might say. And it's when he becomes, when he takes on the identity of the woman, he sees, he understands what it's like to be a victim, but he hadn't seen it before.
0: The extent to which um, one might be worried in that is that the the, the central character, Jagoda uh, is explored uh, fairly deeply, but none of the women in the book gets as much
1: exploration as, as Parker. We never quite do get as far into them. It's th- that's impossible in this novel because I wanted to write the novel entirely from the point of view of the psychopath. Everything in the book is seen through his eyes—the city, the heat, the women, the meals, the food, the expense, the car, everything, the weather. No matter what, it's all, including his wife, seen through his eyes. We never see uh, his wife, I and mean, we never see his wife sort of on her own. It's always—it's entirely his point of view, and that was deliberate because I thought that I wanted to sort of get into his skin and see the world through his skin to see. It's both its normality and its strangeness. But just to make the focus located entirely on him. The thing that I was interested most in this novel, and the reason I wrote it, is to give voice to remorse and to the inability... I mean, people talk about murder and crime and punishment all the time, and perhaps they should have capital punishment or not, as the case may be, or maybe do finger painting or have riots in prisons or whatever. But no one really comments on the total inability to replace a human life. Once someone has been killed, there's nothing you can do. And this is a remorseful man, a a man who's killed someone. He can't bring that person back to life. And he knows that no matter what is done to him in the legal or judicial sense, it won't be enough. Then uh, he should die himself, but then that would make someone else a murderer Mm -hmm. or a killer. So I think that it's... You know that some crimes are solved when the police wait for the anniversary of the murder and go back to the scene of the crime. Or they have a stakeout at a cemetery where the victim is buried, and the murderer, the guilty man who hasn't been caught, goes and puts flowers on the victim's grave. Or the, the, the murderer lurks in the area where the murder took place a month later, a year later, five years later, or whatever. The memory of a murderer is quite interesting, and even uh, the remorse... Of a murderer. I'm not talking about how pitiful they are. I'm just talking about the way a person feels sorry and doesn't know what to do, and in a perverse kind of way, is is uh, is the only person who knows what the uh, that, that this is the anniversary or feels that they that they have to do something and they don't quite know what to do, and it was th- that's the rather um, that's the perversity or the strangeness, which is partly human, and and deeply criminal. So it's, 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 let's say, the, the human or remorseful side of, of the criminal mind. But also, most writers are, have this sense of dressing up in other people's clothes, becoming a woman, becoming a man, and getting into the mind of someone else. And I think that, to a certain extent, Parker is, is a writer. He's a sort of creative man, too. I mean, there's a sort of creative side to him well
0: he does create the world as he goes through it at, at, at one point in the book he, he more or less despises everybody he sees every newspaper vendor and and, and family going on holiday and at another point he, he almost envies them because he, he he feels distanced because of his remorse
1: well he knows he's dangerous i think only the murderer knows he's dangerous and uh, he knows and no one else knows and he he in a way is going around wishing to warn people of his own danger
0: but should we care about him, given that he, he's committed then this act, this one act which you cannot redeem, you cannot
1: recall? I don't know uh, whether you should care in the sense of wanting him to reform, but I think you should care in the sense of perhaps wondering what lies beneath him, wondering even uh, in a clinical kind of way what he's going to do next. This is not a story about murder. This is a story about its aftermath. What happens to a murderer? after he does the deed. Detection doesn't interest me at all. But how does that man live? What does he do? I'm always interested in the fact that um, a murderer then has to go and eat something or sleep somewhere or see somebody or say something to somebody. And uh, th- one of the most horrifying details of a murder in the United States recently of a man on death row was after he killed this person, he then ate the person's lunch. And it was oh, the fact terrific. that... That's Yes, after he... <laughs> Ate that, pres- that was seen as a kind of the sign that that man was incorrigible and t- t- belonged on death row. As I said, eleven or 12,000 murders are committed in the United States every year. But that one, uh, that man, his name was Harris in California. He just had a stay of execution. That was always seen as the detail that made him, he was a, a real a wicked evil man. He ate his Big Mac. Eating actually is a, is a big theme of the book, and
0: um, you make, um, I think, uh, a lot um, and, and very successfully out of the switch in Parker's attitude to food. Uh, he starts off very fastidious and very concerned with eating health food. And in, in his remorse, and this, this is what I want to ask you about, he, he determinedly eats
1: junk food as, as, as a way, I think, is, it of, is he punishing himself or what? I think he's written himself off at that point. Yes, eating this junk, and uh, that he's—he's—that's the end of all hope. It's a kind of, as he says earlier, when someone's eating junk food, it's a kind of passive suicide. But for him, that's sort of—that's the utter, the utter contempt. Smoking a lot, eating the wrong food, and not caring. That's when you've lost all self-respect and all hope. That's what you do. You eat crap. Because well, you think that you are that way. Lots of us. Um,
0: I, I don't smoke, but um, I, I eat Big Macs. I sometimes will drink more than is entirely good for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we
1: all writing ourselves off? I think that's something you do. You're young, and uh, you think that, that <laughs> you can do. It. When you turn 40, uh, as I did ten, no, well, nine years ago t- uh, tomorrow, um, I'm 40. Now, when I turned 40, I stopped smoking, and I started to think, I want to live. I want to live. I want to be healthy, and I want to be alert. I want my brain to be clear. and I think uh, i i I care about my health. I don't want to wake up and feel rotten in the morning. so I started to to care about. It. And when I started to change my diet, I became a vegetarian. I started to write about people who eat. and I started to write about food in uh, and and food started entering my work, say uh, about yes, about nineteen eighty one eighty two Now you say, you do it. Is there anything wrong with it? I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. You have to sort of make your own decisions. I don't think there's anything wrong with your making your own choice. But if we're up to me, no, I wouldn't want to eat junk. I don't eat junk. Life is too short. Why not um, eat the right stuff and, and feel sort of healthy? I mean, why eat junk? I don't see the point of it. Life is too short, surely.
0: Can I throw back at you another um, couple of quotations from the book? Um, one uh, uh, At one point, somebody says, or thinks, I, I forget which, love had not been enough. And that that's a general observation. At another uh, point, somebody says, uh, or thinks, sex was always destructive. Is that particular to this book? Or is, is that a, a, a grander
1: statement? Am I reading too much into it? I think that uh, Parker feels that. Parker mm-hmm. feels love is not enough and sex is always destructive. Actually, personally, I think that love it ought to be enough that real love is is, uh, is what rescues people from despair and that sex is magic in both love and sex and work, too. Those three things, this transformation, we can transform ourselves that way. And I suppose that's one of the subjects of, uh, or that's one of the sort of, uh, I guess, controlling ideas of the books that I've written. I'm, I think there's more love, sex, and work in them than there is, religion God and I don't know politics let'd say I- yeah one of the scary things about this
0: book actually I, I think it is chilling and um, and extremely well written one of the scary things is that this man has a wife who loves him and who is good to him and th- there is nothing obviously wrong with her and a child and a home and he's an architect he's a and and but that that having that home life, marks him off a lot from um characters in 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 fiction who do terrible things the lone wolf you mean yeah yeah
1: i th- yes i think it is but I, I don't think i mean his wife meets him in lonely hotel rooms and pretends to be someone else she dresses up i i don't want to spoil the story for anyone who's <laughs> but but she they have they have these elaborate games and she goes along with it. i don't think that she realizes what she's got herself into but certainly she goes along with him and i mean it's the going along and perhaps not realizing what she's going along with that feeds his imagination and that in a in a in a, in a sense sort of turns him slightly in the direction that i suppose he was going to go to uh, into uh, anyway but the to say that he has a home life a wife and child is nothing Bec- but it's it's a pecu- it's, she's rather a peculiar woman and uh, I wouldn't say his home life is, is uh, you know, it's very different from the home life, as they say, of our own dear queen.
0: Finally, uh, it's a desolate story um, in the sense that it then is about all these uh, gruesome and grisly things and about madness.
1: Who is it for? I would say this novel is for my readers. If you read a, lo- a writer's work, you have a kind of coherent view, not only of his or her world, but of your own world. Paul Theroux, thank
0: you very much. Thank you. Chicago Loop is published by Hamish Hamilton. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at
1: green-shoot.com.